You're listening to Career Up Now's Socially Distanced Close-Ups podcast. Today, Brett Ratchlin is interviewing David Guccione. David is a Bay Area brand activation manager at GT's Living Foods. He loves assembling seemingly unrelated ideas and weaving them into coherent initiatives. Let's jump in on the conversation. When you first graduated from college and was you know, looking out ahead to your career, did you envision yourself being in the position that you're in now? Yes and no. It's interesting. I think what's important as you move through your career is to remain present. When I was looking as a senior in college, my dad gave me a really poignant piece of advice to try to find something that interested you from your education. So for me, that was marketing. And then blend that with something that you've always been passionate about. And that would make it much easier for you to wake up happy every day, excited to do your job. So for me, my passion is sports. And so when I was looking for a job in in 2010, I wanted to find a job in sports marketing. It was very difficult. I probably applied to about 400 different positions, you know, in the middle of the Great Recession. Not a lot of companies were hiring. And I had to get creative. Um, But I was able to get an internship at a company in event marketing. We were doing event marketing for Chevrolet, for the General Motors family of brands, um, but mostly Chevrolet. And it was a bit of a pride hit. You know, I had just spent four years in college at a great university, needed to take an internship that was only paying me $10 an hour. And at at the time, it was only two hours a week. Any history from 2008, GM actually went through a bankruptcy and was bailed out by the federal government. So there wasn't a whole lot of money to go around in the automotive industry at the time. You know, it seemed like it was going to be a dead end, but hard work in two weeks, I was added three days a week. Within three weeks, I was working five days a week as an intern. And then within three months, I got an entry level position. I never was a car guy. And so what I my biggest piece of advice to people is be open to what industry you go in. You want to look for a job function, not necessarily a career, especially when you're early on in your career. I think obviously you've got specific trajectories. If you're going to be a doctor, you know, you have a very set set of milestones. If you're going to be a lawyer, same kind of thing. But if you're going to try to find and follow your passions in a career path that's not as defined, my biggest piece of recommendation is be open because you'll never know exactly what you're going to spark a new passion in you. And I very quickly realized that I was a card. I was good at it. And I was able to get in my first job four promotions in four years. Then I was able to get recruited by another automotive marketing company working internationally. So I actually studied international sports marketing in school. And I was able to then get a job even more in my career. And by the time I was 25 years old, I had my dream job. I was working in international sports marketing, which is exactly what I wanted to do. And then after two years of doing that, it was interesting because I found out that it wasn't actually what I wanted to do. I mean, your dreams are going to shift and that's normal. Right. Be, again, the first thing I said, be present. Acknowledge the fact that your interests and your passions will shift as you get older. As your preferences change, as your needs change, you'll want to figure things out. So from there, I've actually switched industries many times, but I was in the automotive industry for the first six years of my career and got very burnt out. I was working really, really hard. I was traveling all over the world. It sounds ideal, right? But I was missing birthdays and I was sacrificing things in my personal life. And so I ended up switching industries and going to work for a nonprofit based, still working in the events world. And I was putting on events for 
the Jewish Federation of Greater Los Angeles for young adults to be able to really experience Judaism in a non-religious setting, in a more open, secular kind of setting. And so, again, I think it's don't worry so much about having all the answers for the first 10 years or five years. I would even hesitate for you to even build a five-year or 10-year plan, especially when you're in your 20s, because you're going to fail and you should fail. And you're going to need to bite your bottom lip a couple times in order to get to where you want to be. And you're going to need to be open. I think that's one of the biggest things is being open to the opportunities that come and don't shut things out that maybe sound a little weird or maybe doesn't work with your experience or what you learned even in college. If the company is willing to take a chance on you, you should be willing to take a chance on them because right. you never know what doors are going to open from those initial opportunities. Right. I think that's a great answer. And one thing I would add to it too, in terms of including your passion and what you're good at is also aligning with what the need is in the business world. Because if you can align with, if what you're good at and you're interested in, if there's no need for it, it's going to be hard for you to build a career and make money. But if yes. it, yeah, that's the only thing I would add to what you said, but a great answer. Yep. Great. Yeah. And I think to that point right now, for those that are just now graduating or looking to get their first job, there isn't a lot of demand out there. So I would caution anyone right now to say, well, I don't want to go be a musician, for example, right? Musicians are really struggling right now. If that's your dream and that's your passion, and again, a lot of it comes from positive feedback, right? If you've had great professors in your life or you have great peers that are you know, saying to you, hey, you're making some great music, you should probably continue on that path, even though right now the demand isn't there. Now, again, that doesn't mean you're going to be making money as a musician straight out the gate. So you may need to swallow your pride a bit, get a job at a local restaurant. I was a waiter for six years throughout college. Because again, you're, you're going to need to put food on the table. For me, my biggest priority was getting out of my parents' house. And so I took 40 hours a week, even though I was working 20 hours at the internship so that I could get out of my parents' house, get myself an apartment. And so again, it's whatever your priorities are. And sometimes you do need to take those risks in order to get the big rewards that you want. Absolutely. And your music example is really compelling because this one thing that I've often talked to people about is that, you know, focus on the musicianship, but if you can also build like a career in business or in marketing, there's a huge need for music in marketing. So when you're yep. create, creating content, if you might be able to use that, your musicianship to build a business in marketing or in business in general, and then if the musicianship works out on its own, all the better, but at least you can build a career around what you're already interested in as well. Exactly. And I think there's many schools of thought on that. But I think when I was learning about the Renaissance when I was younger and in college a little bit, I was always struck by Leonardo da Vinci. And again, I'm Italian. So I love Italian history, especially. And when you think about some of the most revolutionary periods of our history, the people that are well-rounded that really make change. Like it's not the people that are specialized and so focused on what they're going to do that are really going to make as much of an impact. Sure, you could become the best doctor in the world in your field, but if you don't understand biology, if you don't understand various pieces of other parts of what you're doing, you're going to be very limited in your perspective. And ultimately, you know, obviously everyone has their own situation going on and all various opinions and all that, but being well-rounded, especially in your skills and your interests is really, really important. And so that goes back to what I was saying about being open, because the more skills you can learn, the more valuable you are. 
And so even those medial jobs that don't seem like they're going to really build much for you, they're going to build a lot. And when I was interviewing for jobs, I had no job experience in my field, right? I had no relevant experience. And so you're going and you're sitting across from experienced, successful people who are saying to you, why, why should I take a chance on you? What skills do you have that are going to be translatable? And I had worked six years in restaurants at every position imaginable in a restaurant. And when they said to me, well, you know, you're going to be out working with brand ambassadors, working with young people. You're going to need to be able to relate to people from Michigan, from New York, from all these different places. And I said, well, I do that every day in my job. I come into a new table. Every time I meet a new table, it's a new potential sale for me. So I have sales experience. I have experience upselling people. I have experience relating to people from all different types of social right. backgrounds because I needed to do that in my job. My communication skills are strong. So again, it may not seem like that on paper, but you control your narrative, right? You control what you say about your job experience. You control how in an interview you sell yourself. And so so much of it is looking past the menial, like, yes, sure, I'm very good at knowing what's in a barbecue chicken salad. I can tell you when a pizza is burnt, right? Like, those are the basic things that people look at at the surface level and say, well, these people, the limit of their skills, right? That's right. Well, you, so, just, validate, you just validated the value of a liberal arts education, too. Yeah, so yeah. for all those people out there who don't have necessarily an engineering degree or a computer science degree, you can still build a career as well. Absolutely. And to your point about music business and just business in general, when I was in college, I wanted to get a liberal arts degree. I was a history and English guy and I did well at the, in those courses. And I wanted to be an art historian. That's what I wanted to do when I was going into college. And my dad said to me, look, you know, I understand that that's what you're passionate about now. And again, great piece of advice from my father. But he said, if you get yourself, you don't know 100% that you want to go into art history, right? Like, yes, you're interested in it, and it'd be great for you to learn about it, but you can still go learn about it, whether it's continued education, or if you decide after you want to get a master's degree, you can go get a master's in it. But he was very strong feelings about me getting a business degree, get yourself a degree that's general, because there's a whole host of things you can do with a business degree once you get out. And again, I'm not saying if you went and got a liberal arts degree that you've done, done something wrong. But what I am saying is that it's very important to get yourself well-rounded and balanced. And when, unless you are 100% sure, right? And again, like the doctors out there, the pre-law students, they know that that's what they want to do. And that's fine. Law, obviously, you can do a little bit more after than say a doctorate. But what's interesting to me is to say, okay, just because I went and studied music doesn't mean that I've closed all these doors for myself, right? You want to try to have as many open doors as you possibly can when you're looking for your first job, especially in a difficult time like a pandemic or a financial Ab crisis. Absolutely. Let's talk yeah. a bit about the pandemic then. Yeah. You know, what new challenges or opportunities are you seeing that the pandemic present you know, for your company or your industry at large? Yeah. So, I mean, I can, I can speak to two different experiences because I've actually held two different jobs um, and worked in two separate industries during this pandemic. So before this job, I held a job at an agency, an event marketing agency called Jack Morton. And so Jack Morton is one of the oldest and one of the most popular experiential marketing agencies out there. And so experiential marketing, for those of you that don't know, is creating live brand experiences. So bringing brands to life so that a consumer, rather than seeing an advertisement, is actually physically able to tangibly have an experience with your brand. So the easiest way to think about it is any sort of event or any sort of experience you've ever had with a brand where it's touched almost all five of your senses. So there's smells, there's sights, there's things 
things that you're hearing, right? There's so, and all of it ties into a brand, right? And the whole goal of a brand experience is to try to make an impact in a consumer's life beyond what they're seeing in a typical traditional medium, like an advertisement. And so when I was working at Jack Morton, we were working with Google. I was exclusively working on Google's tech conferences. So all of their giant 10,000 person conferences that they put on around the globe. We had a, a pretty big internal meeting that was scheduled for the end of March. It was canceled at the end of February. The event industry itself has completely grinded to a halt. Unfortunately, it was laid off a couple of weeks after that event was canceled. What I can say about what is changing for the event industry is that everything is moving either fully virtual or to a hybrid model meaning that there would be some folks that are live in person, but really trying to do virtual experiences as kind of a stopgap measure to still be able to get various reasons. And again, when you think about companies and why they do events, there's many different reasons, right? It's ways to interact with them for their consumers. It's ways for them to interact with their employees. It's ways for them to interact with their B2B partners. And so you have many different companies that are doing many different things. So I was working on some things for Twitch where, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Twitch, but mm -hmm. it's a very popular streaming platform. Twitch has done an amazing job capitalizing on the coronavirus. They've been able to bring together not only their gaming audience, but their sports audience, their athlete audience, celebrity audience, bring together all of these people and create really neat and music as well and put together very meaningful musical live streams, things like that, events. They've raised significant amounts of money for the World Health Organization. You've seen some really great things. I don't know if you saw Saturday Night Seder, but that was one of the, the mm -hmm. most amazing pieces of content that's come out during coronavirus around. And again, I, you know, I have a background in intersectional Jewish programming. And so it was exciting for me to see a group of comedians and music musicians and artists come together and create something that was not just for the Jews out there, but for the non-Jews. And they raised more money than Twitch did, right? For the CDC. And so I think when you're talking about how industries have shifted during the coronavirus, yes, industries, especially my industry, like businesses are meant to make money at the end of the day. But in these times, shifting your position from a position of, okay, well, we need to make money first, and that's our first objective, to how can we make the world a better place? And I think not just with the pandemic, but also with what's going on with social injustice at the moment, a lot of brands need to get this right. This is their moment. And so when you look at brands like Ben & Jerry's, who have gotten it right for a long time, and you look at other brands that maybe aren't doing anything, I can talk about my former client, Google, because they're not doing anything. They specifically said, you know, we know that we're not going to be open. They didn't want to get it wrong, basically. And so what I would say is what I've seen is there are brands that are, don't necessarily care whether they get it right or whether they get it wrong. And they're just trying to try things, right? And they want to figure out, okay, let's pilot it. And Google has taken the position that they're just going to sit and wait. And so again, part of the reason why I was laid off is that there was no money flowing into the agency. And this is just the way things work. Another piece of advice that I was getting from a lot of my father, even from my mentors and things like that was when I was laid off, I received two weeks severance. And everybody told me, hey, take a break, relax. It's difficult times, figure it out. I didn't listen to a single person because I had already felt like I had a break. I had no work when right. I did have a job. There wasn't anything going on. So I took the opportunity to sign up for courses to better myself. I was doing a Yale course on the science of well-being, which was amazing. I picked up a new musical instrument. I started sewing, sewing masks for people, raising money. 
that's an interesting example because one of the questions that's on here is talks about like how has mentorship enriched your life? And you've already touched on that question throughout this conversation, but you also just gave an example of kind of when not to listen to someone. And honestly, I know you didn't talk to me about this. I think you did the exact right thing. I think that obviously you're not always going to be able to sell the exact same way you're selling when you're in the middle of a pandemic. But in terms of standing still versus trying to move forward, my argument would be you need to move forward. And you were clearly doing that which probably enabled you to get this new opportunity to just start with. Well, yes. And, you know, I think what's interesting is that these are all people that I've listened to at various times times in my life. And you listen to people for various reasons, right? But a lot of times people are giving you advice and it's the golden rule versus the platinum rule, right? Like they're giving you advice from their perspective. And so, yes, while you're younger and you're impressionable and maybe you don't have the experience, it's important to get as many people on your side to give you good pieces of advice but it's always up to you whether you take that advice, right? Like people can open the door, but you have to take that first step. The main reason I didn't listen to people was because I had seen this job posting before I got laid off. It got posted two days before I was laid off. When people are giving you this advice, you can feel in your heart when you know something's not right, right? And there's a, the old adage of take it with a grain of salt, right? right? And what I truly believe is that if you feel something's right, you know, trust your gut. Nine times out of 10, your gut will lead you the right way. It's because you've experienced enough in your life to know when you need to make those decisions and when you need to listen. And for me, I knew some, it was a perfect storm. I knew someone at this company who was in the creative department who could vouch for me. And I knew that if I applied, I had already held a similar position. I knew that if I applied, I would be a very strong candidate. And so if I would have waited, if I would have waited, I found out that they had pretty much closed applications the following Tuesday. Right. And so I applied on Monday. I interviewed on Tuesday. I went through three, four rounds of interviews and I got the job two weeks later. That's awesome. And I think one of the things you just really hit on that's important, which I actually was not expecting necessarily to come up in this conversation or around the question around mentorship, is that you as the person who is the mentee, the person who is you know, getting help from mentors, you need to understand how to evaluate the counsel that you are getting and when to listen and when not to listen. And that's a process that you learn over time through your career. You're gonna be able to better be able to make those decisions when you're 30 versus when you're 20. Yep, one thing I will say is that when you're younger, and this is a, a problem I've seen with my generation and the generations be uh, below me, it's a problem. And it's something that we need a paradigm shift. I think that there's generational reasons. There's a lot of great people and a lot of great learning you can look at about baby boomers and how they manage and struggle with managing millennials. But, and the biggest piece of advice I can, I can give people that are young starting their careers now, you need to get your perception that you have earned anything out of your head before you start your job. Because no matter what, doesn't matter whether you were valedictorian of your high school class, if you graduated magna cum laude from your university, you are on a level playing field with everyone who's, who's in an entry level position. It doesn't even matter if you get a manager position right out of college, which good for you. You are still going to have to learn the ropes. And so my recommendation is listen first. Let yourself come to a decision because when you're young, and e even if you believe it to be true in your gut that you should be a VP right out the gate. In order to, and again, I work in, in the tech world. I live in San Francisco. I see plenty of people who are 20-year-old CEOs, right? They're starting their own companies. You've seen plenty of examples over the years of people people who don't have good counsel, who end up running their companies into the ground. Yep. And again, 
if you lose sight of the fact of these moments, right? Like I have a direct report who I manage who's just out of college. And if you lose sight of the fact of what you're feeling right now, and then if you also don't listen first in your yep. initial first couple of years of your career, you're going to be a bad manager. You're going to get no, to the point. No, no doubt. You're, I think that's great counsel that you're providing here. But let me ask you this. Why do you think mentorship programs like Career Up Now are important? Well, A, you need to have your network will be your most important and defining factor in your career. So don't look at it as a transactional relationship because similar to the reasons why you would join a fraternity or why you join your temple or you're joining, yes, for immediate impact, right? But if you look at it as a transactional experience, you're missing half of the benefit of it, right? So same thing with spirituality, right? You know, you go in to synagogue every Friday and that's your spiritual fill up. But if you're not, if you're missing the spiritual moments in between those spiritual fill ups, you're missing the entire part of Judaism and my the entire part of spirituality. And so in your mentorship, you're not only learning, you're teaching. I, I learn more from mentees sometimes than I do from, you know, my nieces or from people who are older than me. Get an understanding. It's a, it's a symbiotic relationship. And so why mentoring is important is twofold. You are automatically increasing your network. If you make a good impression on that person and they think, wow, he's very smart or she's very smart, they're very driven. Wow, they're so ambitious. You've not only just added one person to your network, you've added their entire network to your network. Those people will be willing to email anyone in their network, be it the president of the United States or the person who's hiring for your position, right? You've now gotten an ally and then potentially unlocked a network of anywhere, vast number of people, right? And so I always will try to take on mentees and I will always hold my mentors very close because the person who got me my first job when I was in 2010, when I was applying for my first internships and the story I told is still the person he was the first person I called when I got laid off. Right. Yep. I offered to work for him for free. You know, he runs his own marketing company. I offered to work for him for free. He didn't take me up on it, but again, you know, he got me my start in my career. That's and right. At this point, I'm not, humble for anything at this point, right? I was just looking for opportunities for me to help. We had an hour long call. I tried to help him with his business. You know, here's some ideas of what I'm seeing in the market. Here's some things that I was seeing with some of my clients. Here's some things you should watch out for because I had inside perspective that he maybe didn't have. And maybe that's all he needed from. And look, at the end of the day, there's a very, and sure, you're going to have mentees that are mentors that fall out of your network or that don't. And again, that's just human nature. Some people will stick around and will be valuable for you and other people won't. I mean, as you go through your 20s, you're going to start to notice that your fat will peel away. And by that, I mean the people in your network, your friends that aren't really moving along with you in your career or aren't really becoming more mature. I thought my dad was crazy when he told me I was going to have fewer friends when I was 30. But what's interesting to me is even though you may have a smaller network or, you know, the impact that that network can make is unbelievable. And so no, no, no doubt. And that's why, you know, if you deliver value in every interaction, that is really impactful for your network. Because yep. to your point, if that new connection is also going to be every one of their connections is one of your potential connections. And if you make a positive impact with them, it can, you know, it's an order of magnitude of how much it can come back to you just by helping them out. Yep. And the, the other big piece of advice, especially if you're young, is do not go into any interaction expecting to get anything, right? Exactly. 
already mentioned expectation and how that is a, is a problem with the younger generation. But what I mean by that is go in with an open mind and an open heart. Like you said, providing value, right? The most valuable piece of advice and almost every mentor mentee interaction that I've ever had started with me requesting an informational interview. And so when you request an informational interview from someone who's senior to you, whether that's he's 70 years old, 60 years old, 50 years old, and you're a young person and you go into that interaction with an open mind, with a list of questions, um, done your research and you listen. First of all, as we all know, because we all have, you know, older folks in our families that love to tell us stories. Old people, older people love to tell stories to younger people. And so you're providing value to them immediately just by asking for the informational interview. But if you go in and, hey, I immediately want to know who's in your network, what can you do before listening to their story? And I recommend going in, asking questions like, how did you get your start in your career? What piece of advice would you give someone my age? What's one thing that I can do that maybe other kids my age aren't thinking about? What are some of the things that I can do to immediately add value to my role, right? Those kinds of questions are questions that somebody who's been in business for 20, 30 years will jump on, will love to give you advice, just like I am, right? And so always, 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 like, you don't need to limit your mentor relationships to those that are in your network or that are in your cohort or that are in the organization that you're with. I encourage you to reach out to anyone you want to speak to, whether you know them or not, whether you have a third degree connection on LinkedIn with them or not, or you don't shoot your shots because this is your moment, right? Take a chance. Absolutely. And all you will need, it, it will take one person in your network. That will, that is what will get you a job. That's what got me this job. Actually, every single job that I've ever gotten in my career, I got because of someone in my network, not because and, of the reach out that I did yeah. on LinkedIn. And me too. I can say the same exact. That's great advice, David. Listen, um, that's a great point to end on. So thank you very much. Really appreciate all the good counsel that you've given today. Yeah, absolutely. And I can open up my email address. I'm always willing to talk to someone. So if, if somebody's seeing this is interested in setting up an informational interview with me to learn more about this, please feel free to reach out. My email is David, my first name, dot Guccione, G-U-C-C-I-O-N-E at gmail.com. And again, I'm open to meeting with anybody because I truly believe that the bigger my network is, the more opportunities that will come my way. The more that I can help the next generation understand these things, the more opportunities that will come your way. Definitely. Thank you, David.
You are listening to Career Up Now Socially Distanced Close-Ups. Let's jump in on the conversation. You're listening to Career Up Now's Socially Distanced Close-Ups podcast. Today, Brett Ratchlin is interviewing David Guccione. David is a Bay Area brand activation manager at GT's Living Foods. He loves assembling seemingly unrelated ideas and weaving them into coherent initiatives. Let's jump in on the conversation. 